I used to work in face-to-face education until 2001, and since then, my ability to project my voice has completely disappeared. It's very mysterious. <laughs> You've got a copy of a handout containing the slides from this presentation, and the final sheet in the handout contains most of the references I'm going to talk about. Uh, the talk is based on a paper that has recently appeared in the Journal of Further and Higher Education. Uh, so you'll find that under Richardson in 2015. Um, there are a couple of findings I'm going to talk about later on that are not contained in that paper, just to make sure this presentation is up to date. Okay, the starting point is that it has been known for nearly 20 years that students from ethnic minorities are less likely to get good degrees, that is, degrees with first or upper second class honours than white students. The original study uh, that showed this was by Connor et al. In 1996, and they surveyed students who graduated from four different UK institutions for education in 1993. They found that 65% of the white students obtained good degrees, but only 39% of the non white students had obtained good degrees. The uh, excuse for why this didn't attract more attention at the time is that it was buried in a technical report, it didn't really get much publicity. Uh, around the same time, I noted similar trends at the Open University. And when I talked to people there, they didn't seem to know what to do about it either. But subsequently, the pattern has been confirmed in data sets based on all UK domiciled graduates from all UK institutions. So I'm not talking about international students. These are the different studies that have appeared. The pattern is very consistent. Um, I presented data from 2004-05, and subsets of these data were analysed by Brooke and Nichols and by Fielding et al. Why subsets of data? Well, we were all quite keen on trying to control for prior qualifications, and in 2004-05, the measure of prior qualifications was the UCAS tariff score, and at that time it was only available for about 30% of all students. The situation has changed markedly since then, so it's probably time for somebody else to do this kind of analysis. Um, over the same 20 years, of course, the proportion of good degrees has increased. Uh, there's been some fluctuation in the proportion of first-class degrees as well. If you want to monitor a phenomenon against a background where the measure you're looking at overall is changing, then it makes sense to look at odds. So the odds of a non-white student obtaining a good degree are about half of those of a white student obtaining a good degree. And you get the same kind of ratio for the same to first class honours. So it doesn't really matter where you place your cutoff. Um, the pattern's been broadly consistent from year to year. Um, I initially presented these, these, this kind of data in a report for the Higher Education Academy in 2008. Uh, but when I gave this talk a year or so ago, I got some up-to-date figures. Now, the top of the graph, if you can't see it from the back, is 1. So if you had a measure up there, uh, non-white students would be equally likely, uh, just as likely to get good degrees as white students. In fact, they're halfway down the scale, indicating that non-white students, the odds of them getting a good degree are about half of the, the odds of white students getting a good degree. The blue dots show the the odds ratio with regard to the proportion of good degrees, in other words, first or upper second class degrees. The green dots show the likelihood of them getting first class honours. 
the fact that the two sets of dots are roughly in the same place makes sense to statisticians. It rather suggests that the same factors are responsible in both cases. Uh, if you were to plot gen a gender difference, for example, you wouldn't get that picture. Um, the pattern, just to digress for gender, is that at the time of the Robbins report, men were much more likely to get degrees than women. Uh, at the time of around about 70s and 80s, there was rough parity in the proportion of good degrees. And from 1990 onwards, women would be more likely to get good degrees than men. But not first. Oh, the, the position was first has lagged behind, so that it's only within about the last five years that women are just about as likely to get first-class degrees as men. And it's very interesting to see the parallel in those data. As I said, that's a digression. Um, this is just to illustrate that the phenomenon is real, it's huge, it's consistent from year to year. It's not getting any worse, but it's not getting any better either over this period. That's lumping all non-white students together. Um, I should say I used the ethnic classification from the 2001 census. That was changed in the 2011 census in ways that I don't regard as being helpful. So I'm only using the 2001 ethnic classification. I'm going to talk about broad ethnic groups. The major differences in attainment are across those broad categories. There's some fluctuation within those categories, but I'm going to talk about the broad groups. The attainment gap is greater in black students than in Asian students. It's greater in Asian students than in students of Chinese mixed or other ethnicity. Now this trend, this under-attainment in ethnic minority students is greater in older students and younger students, and one might start to speculate about why that should be the case. It's greater in women than in men. It's greater in some subjects than in others. What subjects, you may say? Well, in Asian students, the greatest attainment gap is in students taking combined degrees, and the smallest attainment gap is in those who take medicine and dentistry. Say more about medicine and dentistry later on. Uh, the attainment gap of black students is also greatest in those who take combined degrees, and it's least in those who take agriculture. Uh, medicine, dentistry, and agriculture are quite funny disciplines in terms of where they recruit students, what kinds of students they recruit. The attainment gap in all ethnic minority students is greater at post-92 universities than at Russell Group universities. Uh, other kinds of institutions fall in between. And that's a really surprising finding because post-92 universities make a big thing out of the fact that they support people from disadvantaged groups. Uh, and in fact, it's the Russell group that shows the smallest gender difference. But there's a gender, no, sorry, ethnic difference. There's an ethnic difference in all categories of institution. The attainment gap is only partly explained by variations in entry qualifications. And it's greater in part-time students than in full-time students. If you do the serious quantitative number crunching, uh, you find that demographic and course-related variables, and especially entry qualifications, explain about half of the attainment gap in ethnic minority students. And the way I like to look at this, although I don't think it's pleasant to look at it this way, if entry qualifications are a proxy for academic ability, and we could all have a nice argument about that, then about half of the attainment gap is attributable to differences in academic ability. But 
The other half of the attainment gap is not attributable to differences in academic ability. And to me, that means that ethnic minority students are being awarded poorer degrees for reasons that have nothing to do with their academic ability. And that's the shocking situation. I think we have to ask what kinds of factors we will be talking about. Well, one explanation that actually goes back to the 1990s is the idea that ethnic minority students simply have a poorer deal in higher education than white students. Another study by Conor et al. interviewed full-time students at 29 institutions, and they concluded that there was no consistent message from our student survey that any group of minority students felt more disadvantaged than white students. The ethnic minority students reported some issues when they came to look for employment but not during their time at university. Um, yeah, I hold my hand up. I was partly responsible for the National Student Survey. If you're going to look for differences in student experience, that would be an interesting place to look. Well, white students do tend to, tend to get more favorable ratings of their programs than Asian or black students. But the effects are actually small. The trouble with most of the reports about NSS data is that they don't actually tell us whether the differences that they found are of any practical or theoretical importance. And I would argue that, that these are not. They achieve statistical significance because we're talking about very large sample size, hundreds of thousands of respondents to the NSS. The differences are also inconsistent from year to year. And fielding it will take similar results when they look specifically at the assessment and feedback scale in the 2006 survey. And I'll be looking at feedback right at the end of the talk. I always look at three particular groups of students because they have interesting things to say. One is medical students, one is postgraduate students, and the third is distance learning students. Somebody should have stood up and ranted earlier on, how dare I talk about students studying medicine and dentistry, because everybody knows that first degrees in medicine and dentistry are not classified. They're awarded with honours, but they're not classified. Uh, nobody's prepared to talk about why that's the case. The idea seems to be a doctor is a doctor is a doctor, and you really wouldn't want to go in for an operation knowing that you're certain had a third class degree, would you? <laughs> Uh, that, I think, is at the, sort of the bottom of it. But degrees awarded uh, in medicine, dentistry, and veterinary science are not classified. However, nowadays, quite a lot of students taking medicine, dentistry, and veterinary science take intercalated or intermediate degrees. Uh, at Oxford, for example, every medical student takes an intermediate degree after three years. I think it's called a med. Those intercalated, intercalated degrees are typically in cognate disciplines, where students take a year out of their medical studies to get a degree in some other discipline. Um, I taught psychology, and it's very common for medical students to take a year out and get a degree in psychology. That's nice if you can do it, instead of taking three years. Those degrees are classified, and students who get those degrees are more likely to get first class or good degrees than those taking other subjects. That's not surprising. These are really bright and well-motivated students. They all do jolly well. In fact, the medics were onto this problem before anybody else. In 1994, out of 230 final year students at the medical school in Manchester, 10 students failed. 
all the students were male and they all had Asian surnames. And this was written up in the BMJ by Louise Dillon, who now writes for the Guardian. Subsequently, Chris McManus analysed finals results from two cohorts of students at London medical schools. Again, just to say we're talking about UK nationals here, ethnic minority students were twice as likely to fail one or more examinations than were white students. So medicine was starting to take this seriously before anybody else. Catherine Wolfe, who uh, was one of Chris McManus's research students, carried out a systematic review of meta-analysis on the performance of medical students in the UK. So they looked at all the data that was available about medical students at whatever level, and they found that non-white students consistently performed less well, less well than white students. And they concluded that ethnic differences in academic performance are widespread across different medical schools, different types of exams, and in both undergraduates and postgraduates. They have persisted for many years and cannot be dismissed as atypical or local problems. Subsequently, Catherine Wolfe obtained questionnaire data from 587 medical students in year three and followed them up to their final exams in year five. She wondered if she could predict failure at year five on the basis of psychological and other data collected in year three. She found that ethnic, ethnic minority students obtained poorer scores in both the written exams and the practical examination. And these differences could not be explained by differences in demographic or psychological factors, and they were just as large when these factors were taken into account. So, uh, it's acknowledged as a serious problem in medical education. Uh, it's very much on the agenda in the UK. And most of the research, uh, particularly the research I've talked about generally, uh, has focused on the entertainment of ethnic minority students at the first degree level. Given that a good degree is normally a prerequisite for postgraduate study, this should have consequences for their representation at the postgraduate level. And this is an area we don't know very much about. Uh, Wakeling found that based on their completion of first degree, students from ethnic minorities were underrepresented among research students and teacher training students, but not on master's <coughs> programs. Um, as I said, little is known about the same postgraduate students and ethnic minorities, because we don't have that kind of data at a national level. We do know about degree classifications at national level, but we don't know anything about postgraduate awards. <coughs> but the results that Catherine Wolf found in her uh, systematic review and meta-analysis suggests that there may well be significant underattainment at this level too. If it's true in medicine at a postgraduate level, it's probably true in other disciplines too. Now, most research has focused on the underattainment of ethnic minority students in face-to-face -face institutions. And you could theorize that somehow it arises from the nature of ethnic minority students' interactions with their teachers and with other students. Now, in distance education, there is a geographical, social, and personal separation between students and their teachers. Um, in the trade, it's called transactional distance. Um, this is what distance learning institutions have to try to minimize. And that's why they put on things like residential schools, face-to-face -face tutorials, nowadays, on, nowadays online forums, and so on. 
But the argument would be that the effect of factors arising from interactions between students and teachers may be attenuated in the context of distance education. And I'm sitting at the Open University, what, what do we know? The Open University is, of course, an interesting case. It has an open admissions policy that most students over the age of 16 are admitted without regard to their entry qualifications. There are one or two exceptions. The Open University has had a long-standing commitment to equal opportunities in education, and it's also explored initiatives for supporting students from ethnic minorities. And this cropped up when I came to do my inaugural lecture at the Open University in 2004, and I said then, of course it's obvious, given the ethos of the Open University, they will have been monitoring the performance of ethnic minority students since its inception to make sure there is no disparity. Had they been monitoring performance of ethnic minority students? Had they had? No. They are now. Um, so far as I can tell, when I got up did my inaugural lecture, nobody even looked at the problem. <laughs> what I found was the underattainment of ethnic minority students who graduated from the Open University was similar to the underattainment of ethnic minority students studying part-time at other institutions. Remember, the attainment gap is bigger in part-time students than in full-time students. What I found was that Asian graduates who studied with the <coughs> university tend to perform a little better than their counterparts elsewhere. Black graduates who studied with the Open University performed on par with their counterparts elsewhere. But you could say, frankly, the situation is as bad with the Open University as it is anywhere else. Now, what I can do working at the Open University is to get hold of serious data on students' performance in individual modules. Because most of the research is focused on the underattainment of ethnic minority students at the first degree level. And I'm sure in all your institutions there is some evil person who sits in an office somewhere with a rubber stamp who decides what class of degree each student's going to get. Of course, that's not how things happen, at least not nowadays. Uh, students know what class of degree they're entitled to because it's usually based on a fairly straightforward formula based on the grades that they've got in the modules they've taken. Certainly open university students know, know jolly well what kind of degree they could get probably a year or two before they finish. So most universities, the students' class degree is determined solely by the marks or grades achieved on individual course units or modules. So I compared white and ethnic minority students taking open university course in 2003. It was the most recent case where I had to hand, I didn't want to bother my colleagues by asking them to get yet another data set for me to analyze. What I found was that most groups of ethnic minority students were less likely than white students to complete their courses. Now, now I'm talking about completion at the level of an individual course unit or module. I'm not talking about completion of a degree. Most groups of ethnic minority students were less likely than white students to pass the courses that they completed. And most groups of ethnic minority students were less likely than white students to obtain good grades on the courses that they passed. <coughs> so there's an attainment gap in terms of the course rate, sorry, the completion rate, the pass rate, and the kinds of grades that the students get. So the obvious explanation as to why I think minority students are less likely than white students to be awarded good degrees is that because it's because they're less likely to get the grades that will merit good degrees. Um, that just passes the problem one step down the line. 
I repeated these analyses for students taking the Open University course in 2009, and the picture was very similar. The attainment gap in terms of proportion of good grades varied across different subject areas. And this suggests that maybe it results, at least in part, from the teaching and assessment practices in particular subject areas. Now, some people will know the kind of stuff I enjoy doing, and normally do, isn't about attainment. It's about how students go about studying. What do we know? Well, unfortunately, I found that the attainment gap in ethnic minority students is not attributable to variations in their ratings of their courses. That's consistent with the National Student Survey data. It's not attributable to variations in their academic engagement. It's not attributable to variations in their approaches to studying. And it's not attributable to variations in their conceptions of learning. These four areas are all assessed using self-report questionnaires. You could imagine that by this point, I and my colleagues are getting slightly desperate. We're sort of scraping the barrel in terms of trying to find an explanation for the half of the attainment gap that's not attributable to prior qualifications. This is a sign of our desperation. We wondered whether the underattainment of ethnic minority students might be due to the kind of feedback that they receive for their assignments. There's a little bit of literature you can call upon here. There's some literature, principally European, by which I include the UK, um, suggesting that uh, members of an in-group, especially a, an in-group with authority and power, tend to denigrate the achievements of members of an out-group. So this is what social psychologists would say. However, there are a couple of studies in the United States which found that white markers tended to be lenient when marking the work of black students. And as the researchers pointed out, this is equally useless because if you've got a student who really is quite weak and you tell them this is jolly good, this isn't helping them. So that was what we had to go on. Of course, what you've got to do is to have a way of systematically categorizing kinds of feedback and then apply this system in a way that's blind to the student's ethnicity. The Americans did it by simply not telling the markers about the ethnicity of the students. Uh, we were able to go on better than that. It was all done by a computer program. We found 470 ethnic minority students who've taken our first level arts course in uh, university and submitted four key assignments in the middle of the course. <coughs> so they submitted four assignments and we've got their marks and we've got the tutor's comments. <coughs> For each individual ethnic minority student, we found a white student who'd taken the same course by distance learning but was also matched on the basis of gender um, and on the basis of age, normally within two years and always within six years, and also matched on the basis of the kind of prior qualifications they had. So we can be confident these two groups of students are very well matched indeed. And the comments were categorised using a computer system called Open Mentor. This was devised as a system that gave feedback to tutors on whether they were giving appropriate feedback to their students. What it does is to take a marked essay, which nowadays is normally in a Word document, a 
and the comments are in the comment function in Word. The system ignores the essay and then categorizes the comments. It actually comment, uh, categorizes it into 12 different categories, but there are four major groups. Uh, if you're interested, the system was based upon the categorization of social interaction devised by Bales, 1950. Some of you may be old enough to remember studying Bales as undergraduates. If you didn't, you can go look it up. It's very easily available. Uh, the study is the one by Richardson et al. 2015 on your reading list. It has recently been published, an assessment and evaluation in higher education. We found that there are only small differences in the pattern of feedback that ethnic minority students receive from their tutors. And these differences disappeared when the marks that they received for assignments were taken into account. They did get slightly lower marks, about 5 or 6% lower on average. You think, well, that's not very big. But if you get 5 or 6% lower than another student consistently through your degree, you might well end up with a 2-2 and the other student ends up with a 2-1. So what we concluded from that study was that students from all ethnic groups received feedback that was commensurate with their marks. And there wasn't any evidence that ethnic minority students were getting systematically lenient feedback, as the American studies would suggest, or systematically negative feedback, as the social psychology research would suggest. I want to end up with two final points. One's a fairly simple one, one's a bit more complicated and, dare I say, controversial given the topic of this um, seminar. The attainment gap in ethnic minority students is a finding that's correlational in nature. So we're not talking about cause and effect here. If I think we can be fairly confident that ethnicity per se is almost certainly not the effective variable influencing students' academic attainment. It's a proxy for other factors that we've yet to identify. We know it's a proxy for prior qualifications, but that only explains half the difference. What else is it a proxy for? Probably something to do with the student's previous experience. But we can't be confident about that. However we try to get at that, it slips through our fingers. Okay, here's the other point. Some people have claimed that people from ethnic minorities are underrepresented in UK higher education. Uh, Steve Gorard and colleagues produced a report in 2006 in which they said inequalities in higher education participation are evident throughout the life course and include differences in terms of, and there's a variety of other de demographic characteristics there, and then they say ethnicity. And this has led Gorard and his colleagues uh, to an interesting way to increase the participation of ethnic minority groups in further higher education. So two papers by C. et al. tell you about ways in which you might enhance the participation of ethnic minority groups. The slight problem it doesn't appear to be true that ethnic minority people are underrepresented in higher education. Connor, in the report that I've already referred to, estimated that in 2001-2 the participation rate was 38% for white people, but 56% for people from ethnic minorities. Now it's very, very difficult to, to analyse participation rate, and you have to juggle 
data about school leavers and data about students in higher education. But that was the best estimate they came up with. More recently, the Equality Challenge Unit pointed out that the proportion of UK domiciled students from ethnic minorities had actually increased from 14.9% to 18.4% in 2010-11. That's because they've been indirect. Fortunately, Tory government to the rescue, Department of Education tells us that in 2012-13, 45% of white school leavers entered higher education compared with 64% of Asian school leavers and 62% of black school leavers. And those are data that were published about two months ago. So, the, the, it seems to me that, well, it seems to me that there might be particular ethnic subgroups with low participation rates, <coughs> but it's patently incorrect to assert that people from ethnic minorities are underrepresented in UK higher education in general. So I don't think that story floats, basically. Everything I've told you up to now says ethnic minority students are less likely to get good degrees for reasons that have nothing to do with their academic ability. So we can't guarantee ethnic minority students equitable outcomes from higher education. So why would we try and increase their participation rate if we can't guarantee them equitable outcomes? I think that would be ethically dubious. You might want to disagree with that, but that's position. So, talk was about what do we know about the attainment gap and what don't we know. But we do know that ethnic differences in academic attainment are widespread and have persisted for many years. Yes, I plagiarised that from Catherine Wolfe and her colleagues who were only talking about medicine. It seems to be exactly the same statement applies across the board in higher education. They're only partly explained by ethnic differences in entry qualifications. They vary from one institution to another, and they vary from one subject area to another. And this suggests that they result in part from teaching and assessment practices in different institutions and subjects. And I think that gives us something to hold on to. But what don't we know? We don't really know whether ethnic differences in attainment are reflected in the student experience. That was the kind of initial knee-jerk story that was suggested in the 1990s. But it's very hard to come up with concrete evidence that supports that view. We don't know what factors are responsible for the ethnic differences in attainment that remain when differences in entry qualifications have been taken account, into account. Um, we can't do much about students' ethnic uh, entry qualifications when they come to university. We can say to our colleagues in secondary education, maybe there's more that you could be doing to enhance the attainment of ethnic minority students. But we don't know what the other factors are. If we knew what those factors are, then we could start to try and do something about it. And at the moment, we're kind of wandering around a bit in the dark. And although I said variations in teaching and assessment practices might be something useful to consider, we actually don't know what aspects of teaching and assessment practices are responsible for variations in the attainment gap. What exactly is it about what is going on in different disciplines and in different institutions that makes the attainment gap greater or less? I should say there is an ethnic minority attainment gap in every discipline and in every institution. 
There are probably one or two exceptions where there are hardly any ethnic minority students at all. Uh, all Northern College of Music would be a good one to look at. But I did give a talk at the University of Brighton, and I was able to look up and said, by the way, do you know how big it is at the University of Brighton? It's huge. And he, he said, we'll give you those data. Well, they'll sell you those data uh, for your institution and for all institutions, if you want. <coughs> I would point out Jacqueline Stevenson's 2012 report for the Higher Education Academy. Um, that's really about what teachers and students think might be going on. It's not. It makes me slightly uncomfortable as a researcher that I rely upon somebody else's whims and prejudices to, to guide research. But frankly, we haven't got anything else to go on, as far as I'm concerned. So I think there are ideas in Jackson Stevenson's report that would be worth pursuing in the future that probably need to be pursued not by large-scale quantitative studies, but by small-scale qualitative studies. Um, there are a couple of other HEA reports that you might look at as well along the same lines. I normally have a rant, but uh, I don't seem to be used up an awful lot of time in my rants. <laughs> but you've probably had enough now, so I'll stop. And you can answer any questions.